KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I tell my guys now, and I would tell guys this, I never say no. Like, you're not going to hear me say, or anybody back in, in those days say, I'm, I'm, I'm done, or I can't go, or I'm, I'm finished. I remember him asking me after the third, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm good. And then I came back out for the sixth, and he goes, can you give me one more? And I said, yeah, I'm good. You just didn't say no. If he had told me that, asked me every year, I, I never would have said no. And our guest this week is former Phillies pitcher Steve Schrenk. He's now a pitching coach, has his own company, helping uh, youngsters learn the finer points of pitching. And Steve, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate uh, being able to take this time to uh, chat about a little bit about baseball and my career and some different things. So I appreciate you having me on, Matt. Talk a little bit about what you are doing now. You spent a long time as a coach in the Phillies organization after your playing days, but now you've kind of struck out on your own? Yes, I did. I uh, coached for about 16 years at pretty much every level except the major league level with the Phillies. Um, coach a lot of the guys that you see now, obviously, that are that are playing for the Phillies and uh, a lot of the pitchers and uh, been with a lot of them for a lot of years. But now I've kind of like uh, gotten away and started my own business of doing uh, some, some pitching coach called Pitching Coach Pro. I'm doing it on my own in the area, in the Allentown, Lehigh area, but I'm also pretty much national wide, or nationwide right now doing this stuff. So trying to get my, my thought and my process of how things, you know, what works as far as being a pitching coach, what works for pitchers and being available to some younger guys and uh, kind of sprouting out a little bit. And the way I looked at it was that I have one client when I work with the Phillies, which has a few pitchers, but now I have hundreds of clients all over the country. And uh, I'm able to touch a lot more lives and, and, and be um, a little bit of a, a role model and inspiration to a lot of young kids that are trying to fulfill a lot of their dreams and going to college, playing in high school, even playing in their little leagues and, I've even had a couple guys sign, uh, or had one guy sign uh, about three weeks ago with the Padres. So it's been pretty inspiring. I really enjoy it. Again, um, working for myself, I really enjoy that after a lot of years of working for somebody. Uh, not that I didn't enjoy it. I learned a lot and had a lot of fun. But uh, it's nice being able to teach what I really believe in, and I know what works in the uh, in, in pitching and baseball world. We are still in the midst of the pandemic. Things have gotten a little easier now, but how have the last six months uh, been for you as far as with the business and how you've had to deal with kids and the challenges it's presented? Um, I think, you know, obviously the first three months uh, were, were tough because it was um, doing a lot of virtual. But at the same time, when I started doing the virtual stuff, it was a little bit, it was different for me. I hadn't really done anything like that before. Working through video and working through um a lot of Zoom meetings, um, having moms and dads hold cameras while the kid is actually pitching and being there on an iPad or an iPhone and talking them through it, and making sure they were doing everything right or if they had questions. Obviously, it was a lot of mental stuff as well. So it was a lot of uh, teaching, you know, pitching philosophies, how to get guys out, what to look for. Um, delivery stuff was a little bit hard because you're not that hands-on. But we accomplished a lot. Like, I really felt like it worked. At first, I was a little apprehensive, like, wow, is this going to work? But the more we got into it, the kids really seemed to like it. And um, I think for them, it was like they had a chance to really open up and talk. And we have one-on-one. It was, you know, some quiet time. But it was also pretty rewarding to be able to see them actually be there. And I'm kind of like in their ear as they're doing it, as their mom or dad were holding the camera. So it was pretty cool. Like I said, it worked. Um it was better than having nothing, as a lot of people said. It was nice to be able to still stay in shape, be able to pitch, because once we opened up, baseball kind of went right into it, especially with travel and different things like that. So it was 
they went right back into it, started playing where football was a little, little bit more contact, basketball, all their sports were. At least in baseball, you can kind of keep that six feet. You know, obviously you can't when you're sliding and stuff, but for the most part, I think it's a little easier than some of the other contact sports. So let's talk a little bit about your journey in baseball. If I'm correct, you born in the Chicago area, but you grew up, spent most of your childhood in Oregon. Am I correct? Yep, yep. I grew up uh, in Oregon, born in Great Lakes. My dad was in the military, uh, in the Marines. So I was born on the, on the base there. And uh, then we moved out to Oregon or um, probably when I was probably a year old. So I've been in, probably was in Oregon for most of my younger life and went to high school, played out there um, and uh, got drafted out of high school, 1987. Seems like uh, yesterday, but then it seems like a long time ago compared to where baseball is now, where it's going nowadays. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was out West and got drafted by the White Sox in 87 uh, out of high school and kind of decided to go that route. I wasn't going to. I had some offers at University of Miami. I think USC, BYU was another school. So I had some a lot of interest and I had some full rides and some scholarships to go play in college. But once the White Sox came in and kind of made their offer and, you know, at the time, Seemed like a whole lot of money nowadays. It's not much in the fourth round, but <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it. So uh, it was fun. A lot of good memories. Went down to Sarasota, um, down to Florida. And first time I'd ever been really out of Oregon, except one time I went to Australia for a U.S. Uh, US All-Star for two weeks. But it was the first time I – second time I'd been on a plane. So flew all the way to Florida and then uh, started my career with the White Sox at 18 years old. So um, it was good. I mean, it – Looking back on it now, you know, you know, you're always like, wonder what if, what if I would have done that, or what if I would have done that, gone this way or that route. But I got to play 13 years in the minor leagues, uh, a lot of different teams, and uh, finally made it to the big leagues when I was 30. So that in itself, um, you know, a lot of people will tell me, "Wow, you waited that long," but it's just, you know, you just follow your dream. It's it's something you want to do, and. Yeah, it took me a little bit longer. I had some injuries, and I got three surgeries along the way. Um, didn't really officially go with the White Sox to the big leagues, but I was on their 40 man for four years as I went through it and then uh, made it to the big leagues uh, with the Philadelphia and Terry Francona, who was with the White Sox, took me to the big leagues. Um, and then Dallas Green, of course, you know, my idol and one of my favorites was the Phillies in the Philly area. I mean, he's a mentor to me on, on pitching and stuff. Kind of got me over there as well. So um, it's been, you know, it's, it's a nice ride. Um, like I said, I could, I could go on and on about all day, but, Spending those couple of years with the Phillies and, T- and Frank Ona and Dallas Green and I, and David Montgomery and Mr. Giles and just a family-oriented uh, baseball that I continued my coaching career right into that. So when you get drafted out of high school, when do you as a high school kid start to think that, wow, I might be able to get drafted? When does it go from the dream every high school kid has – to something more tangible, like you're starting to get attention, you can tell more people are watching you, stuff like that. I didn't really hit me until my junior year of high school, and then all of a sudden a few scouts came to the game, probably a handful, five or six. And then all of a sudden during the summer we look up and there's 25 teams watching me throw with scouts all over the area, um, filling out questionnaires, talking to people, and what round do you think you want to go in and will you sign? Are you going to go to college? There were so many questions, but at the time when you're doing it, you just want to play baseball. Like I just wanted to play. I just wanted to pitch. It didn't really, I didn't really dawn on me that 
first of all, I didn't know you could get drafted out of high school. That's how naive I was coming from Oregon. So I had no idea. I'm like, well, I just got to go to college. Isn't that, isn't that the road you have to do is that everybody does. And then I realized that you don't have to go to college and you can, you can, you can sign out of high school and go play. So, but it's pretty intimidating though, when you're young like that. And, you know, like I said, you, you, every pitch you throw, there's 25 radar guns in your face. It didn't really, um, it didn't bother me the more I got used to it. But the first couple of times, I felt like I was there just throwing, you know, throwing for the radar guns and that's, you know, um, and then forgetting about what I need to do with what was pitch and compete. And once I got used to it, I was fine. Uh, but it is, um, it's difficult. It's a little bit different when you're not used to it, especially a small town for me. We had uh, 500 students in our whole school. I graduated with 99 people. So to have more scouts than fans was a little different at times. <laughs> <laughs> beside your family that was sitting in the stands. So you get drafted, you mentioned fourth round, and yet you head into the minor leagues. Well, what was draft day or when you got the call? Because draft in 1987, it's become a lot of pomp and circumstance now. But, you know, yeah. back then, a, a much different. Were you tracking the draft or were you just like, I'll just wait for the phone to ring and whatever happens happens? I just waited for the phone to ring. You know, you hear rumors the whole time. We're going to be in the first five rounds. You don't know if it's going to be first round, second round, third round, or fourth round. A lot of people were telling me I was going to be a first-round pick. Um, I think, you know, when I was looking back on it, I, I kind of had some – I didn't have full commitments to college, but I kind of told people that I want to go to college. You know, people are telling me you want to go to college. So you get more money when you go when they, when they want to draft you. So, But what I realize now is that that scares a lot of teams off. Um, because they'll think you're going to go to college and not sign. They're not going to take you in the top rounds. Kind of what happened to me a little bit, um, but I ended up going in the fourth round, got the phone call from uh, Gary Pellant, who uh, is still scouting. with. I think he's still with the White Sox. No, he might be with Arizona now. I take that back. But I talked to him frequently. Uh, he came to the house, and I remember him coming to the house in his cowboy boots. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the paper. Here's what we can offer. You know, of course, my mom and dad – my dad did some negotiating. Then when we got to a certain point, he said, it's up to you. Um, and then uh, I think he came back another time and then we signed and wouldn't have had a uh, nice dinner. I said, I'll sign, but you got to take the whole family out to dinner. <laughs> and Gary was more, more than happy to take everybody out, out, out to dinner. We went to a nice little, nice little Mexican restaurant down the street and we all ate good and celebrated. And uh, it was a happy time. But again, signed the draft came on the third, I think it was June 3rd, June 3rd or 4th. But I left on the seventh, so it was quick. Like sign, boom, gone. Florida, pack your bags. You got to go. And like I said, the first time I really away from home, eighteen years old. So um, it's it's a little different than, than it is now. They, they they do a lot better job now taking care of younger kids, kind of giving them what they need and what they do. They put them in hotels. I had to find my own place to live. I think I roomed with a guy named Frank Harris, big guy, big catcher from L.A. And he was intimidating, and but he said, "I'll take care of you." It's a funny story because he actually told me, what, what, what round did you go? And I said, I went the fourth round. He goes, I'm going to stay with you because I know you're going to be able to pay your rent. <laughs> That's kind of the things that kind of happen in, in baseball. There's a lot of little stories like that. But it wasn't like I had a choice. It was like, you're rooming with me. But he did take care of me. He was a college guy, um, big guy. Uh, but he did take care of me. So I didn't feel, feel like I was just thrown out to the wolves. <laughs> Tougher transition when you go pro – Baseball or social? I would probably say, I don't know. Baseball is hard because there's so many. Like you go from, like I said, I went from like being really the best player in my little town. And all of a sudden there's 25 guys just like me. 
that are all there that are all good, just like me. And then you have Dominicans and Venezuelans and everybody else that kind of add to it. So that was a little intimidating. I think the social part was um, probably, you know, cooking for myself, doing my laundry, which I think everybody goes through, even if you went to college, just taking care of yourself. I just didn't have to do a lot of homework. But, you know, managing money was was a little bit different, too, because, you know, so you have some money now and you, you know, have some free time with baseball and doing some different things. But I mean, it was, um, I probably baseball for me, just getting used to being around uh, older guys and, and actually going to work every day and knowing that was your job. Uh, that gets pretty intimidating as well. Every day. I mean, you're up at five 30 in the morning when you're in uh, rookie ball and you don't leave the park until four. So it's long days, but you get some good sleep. And I think we had Sundays off, which I think they do now, but that was really the only day that we had. I had a nice tan though, going to Florida. I will say that I, I end up, you know, on Sundays, we did have some beach days, so <laughs> it was nice doing that. Looking at the numbers, it looks like you pretty steady success a couple years in the the Midwest League. And then you, you really had a, a great year, I think, in 92, where you split time high A, double A. How are you feeling about your career those first four or five years? I mean, starting at 18, it's tough. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. where you're drafted. That's a, it's a heavy lift. Uh, but how did you feel about your progress there early on? Uh, I think early on, the first two years, I was in South Bend, Indiana, and I think I was there three years total. Um, I didn't really have the success that I thought I was going to have the first two years. I had a lot of lumps. So I took a lot of bumps. I was in – they didn't have the, the rookie ball. I went right to the low A, which is where your college guys go. So I would jump right into college with some, the best players in the country out of college. So it was like a little bit hard for me the first two years. Had some good managers. Donnie Cooper, who's the Chicago White Sox uh, pitching coach, uh, was my first pitching coach. So I still talk to Coop now. You know, we, we're still pretty close and, you know, talk to him. But that was crazy. It seemed like, you know, just yesterday. But, you know, he, he helped me along what I needed to do. He had a veteran guy, played in AAA, played a little bit in the big leagues. Um, Steve Diller was my manager. But it was it was hard. I'm, I always joke around now and say I wish I would have went to – South Bend, Indiana to Notre Dame for three years because I was in South Bend anyway, and I could have just got my education while I was there <laughs> at the same time. But I enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, it was fun. Travel was good. South The Midwest League was a nice league. We had a brand-new stadium, South Bend White Sox. I think it's Silverhawks now, but it was a brand-new stadium. I got to open that up, pitch in front of big crowds every night. So it was nice. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I, in the Florida State League that year, I think I had Tommy John at the end of 90. 90 yeah I missed at the end of 90 I hurt my arm and then in 91 I missed the season I had to rehab so 92 was my first first full year back from Tommy John and I was just did really really well I think I was like 15 and 2 I think in the Florida State League I remember right had eight or nine complete games Um, again it was back in the day when you could throw I was just telling my wife the other day we could throw 120 pitches in a start that was no big deal at all I mean, if you throw 120 pitches, I had nine complete games somewhere there, eight or nine complete games. You just don't. It's just, this was what we did. So, and I had a great year, and then I went to Birmingham and had a great year in Double A. I was six and zero. Then went to Triple A, struggled a little bit in Nashville, took my lumps a little bit early. Um, but the A ball, High A and Double A were pretty easy for me. I think that I kind of matured. It was kind of like like my junior year in college would have been. I think right around then that age that age that I was at, and the Tommy John obviously helped. A little bit, just staying healthy. My elbow was bothering me for a little bit of time, but I, I kind of came back and I did well with it. So I was fortunate that um, they even had the surgery. Dr. Andrews did it. So it was nice to uh, be able to keep pitching. But it was fun. I mean, I, like I said, 
I wouldn't looking back on it. Like I, I don't, I don't have any regrets. Um, but you know, four years in a ball, you'd think, all right, I need to get things moving here. So I did. And then I got put on the, the 40 man roster with a white talk for four years, pitching triple a pitch in Nashville. Um, had a couple chances to, uh, almost made the team in 1994, number 95 was a strike in there, there, right? Right. We had the strike here. Um, that kind of hurt. That hurt me a little bit. Uh, we had the strike. We missed some time because I was on the 40 man at the time. And then, um, Scott Sanderson, I think beat me out that year. Older veteran guy they hired, they came in and signed. It was funny. I pitched against, it was the last game of spring training. He got to pitch against the Marlins their first year in the league. And I pulled the Yankees all left-handed lineup. <laughs> I think I went six innings, gave up three runs. I think he went seven innings, gave up two runs. And then they took him. They probably were going to anyway, uh-huh. but they kind of like when we were going through that little thing there, the pitching coach, I remember, uh, I think it was Jackie Brown at the time told me, he goes, this is a big game for you. You're going to go pitch this game. This game means a lot, whether or not you make this club. But I feel like I did pretty good against left-handed Yankees. I mean, then the only right-handed hitter they had, Danny Tartable. So <laughs> it wasn't that easy of a lineup. Madden Lee, Boggs. I mean, I remember all those guys. But I did pretty well. And it was the last day of spring, so the whole team was playing. We were in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then he. it was the same day we played a split squad. I pitched a Fort Lauderdale one. He pitched the uh, – the Marlins won wherever they were at the time. I don't remember where their spring training was, um, but he got that game. So, and the, you know what though, the competition was fun. I enjoyed it. looking back on it. I was that close. And then I got hurt. I pitched really well in that year in, in Nashville. Had a good year. I think I went fourteen and six uh, in AAA. And then I, um, it's crazy that I remember some of these numbers. You start thinking about it. Almost got called up, and I think it might have been the strike. That was a strike year, I think. That kind of hurt everybody. So it kind of was like pushed everybody back a little bit. Then I got hurt, hurt my shoulder, bounced around a little bit back and forth to AAA, did pretty well. And then um, ended up going to uh, signing with the Orioles in 97 and pitching in Rochester and won a championship there. And then the Red Sox in 98, and then I got to Philly in 99 and uh, made a team. I almost signed back with the Red Sox in 99. Um, And then Dallas Green is – that was the year he gave me the call and said, we really like to have you over here in Philly. And I said, uh, he said, I really like what you did out of the bullpen. It was the first time I pitched in the bullpen for AAA with the Red Sox. Ken Maka was my manager, who's now in you know, big leagues. Um, and I was like, I was all set to sign back with the Red Sox. And then they called and I'm like, I just can't pass this up. It was just the opportunities were really good. And then I ended up making the big league. So long awaited uh, journey. And I remember the day because I was in, Pawtucket at the time pitching in AAA and Mark Bombard was my manager. He was probably my most favorite manager ever playing for, besides Franco. Franco was good too. Obviously he's my first big league manager, but I played for Bombard, who's a most probably one of the most winning managers in baseball in minor leagues. And uh, he called me up, so it was pretty cool. I was in Pawtucket when it happened, and um, they called me in the office and said, oh, we need to talk to you. So everybody was outside the door. I, the whole team was, so it was pretty cool. And he said, uh, I just want to let you know that you got traded back to the Red Sox. You're going to go over to their locker room. And I'm like, are you serious? I just played for them last year. <laughs> and he goes, I'm, I'm doing really well for you, Bombay. Why did they trade me? And he goes, but on your way, I want you to and, uh, stop in and see Francona and Philly on your way. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, you're going to the big leagues. So it's a pretty good story, though. And uh, it was pretty good. All the guys were cheering and I get a little emotional telling the story because it took a long time. 
all the you have success, you have some struggles, you have injuries. All those years, a dozen years leading up to that, was there ever a point you thought, you know, maybe this just isn't going to happen to me? And you throw in maybe the frustration of getting that close that year you lose to Scott Sanderson. I mean, I think a lot of guys might have said this was fun, but, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to try something else. Yeah, and I think that there was probably a handful of times where I was sitting on a bus somewhere at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking, what am I doing? Like, but do I want to keep doing this in AAA? And, you know, I had a family and kids, and, you know, it starts to wear on you a little bit. And you're like, oh, man. But then there was just that something inside me said, I have to achieve my goal. I have to get there. I was just so close. When you're in AAA, you're really close. Like, you, like they honestly say you're a phone call away, you're a phone call away. I mean, people can say that, you know, oh, I got to jump this, I got to jump that, I got to jump that. But if you put together a good two or three weeks now, especially in the minor leagues, you are a phone call away. I mean, they're literally like they're looking for someone to go up there and do well. So, I mean, it's um, you're just that close. And I just couldn't, you know, at the time, I think AAA and I think I was a free agent. I was making, you know, decent money doing what I was doing. So and then I was thinking, what am I going to do if I don't do this? So and then along the way, a couple of times, I think the Cardinals in, in 1998, I went with the Cardinals in spring training. I think Jorgensen offered me a job to coach. And I said, I'm just not ready. I said, I still feel like I have a chance. And I'm glad I didn't because I ended up making, you know, the Phillies and I ended up making the big ones. But I, that, you know, there's a lot of things that come along along the way. You're like, okay, maybe I should coach. The opportunity doesn't come along all the time. But it all worked out for the best. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, it was all it was all worth it, all the 13 years in the minor leagues, being on the buses just for – even if it would just would have been a day, it's worth it. You know, you've got to experience that. So um, so I got two years and out of the bullpen – and did pretty well, pretty well. I did pretty well. I mean, I, you know, I, I held my own. I, you know, I think the biggest, my biggest regret is for me as a, as a pitcher. And I could tell this to a lot of kids is not believe, not that I didn't believe in myself, but not giving myself enough credit about how good I really was. Um, because when I, you know, you pitch in the, you, I pitch in the major leagues and I didn't give myself enough credit to say, you know what, you work hard this whole time. And when I think when you have it's, it takes you, you don't just get it handed to you, or it's not hand, like you have to really. I felt like every year I was always fighting for a job, and just said, should have, should have just saying like I deserve this. This is me. I'm here. I'm here to stay. And I just kind of took it like I have to keep proving myself all the time. And once you get there, you don't have to keep proving yourself anymore. I would tell a lot of guys that now it's like you're there. Like you made it to the big leagues. Now all you have to do is go perform. There's a reason why they picked you to be where you're at. So. You have ability, you have talent. There's something they really like. So that's what I tell guys even when I was coaching the minor leagues. Like, you know what? This this is not easy. This is not an easy job. So make sure you give yourself enough credit. And I tell guys that all the time because that was the only thing I didn't do, along with teaching. But and you know as well as I do, talking to a lot of guys out here, it's about being confident. It's about having confidence. It's about being prepared. It's about, you know, everybody has the same stuff, the same abilities, a lot of guys. There's a handful of guys that are really good like the 10 percent that just no matter what they do they're going to be really good but how are we going to fill a roster with that other 90 percent of guys that you need to have to have a winning team and um, i think that's the biggest thing is being able to, to believe in yourself and, and once you do that the sky's the limit for a lot of guys july 3rd 1999 you make your major league debut against the cubs what mm-hmm. do you remember how much of it is just a blur <laughs> I know who my first batter I faced was, and you—he was on your show not too long ago, Mickey Morandini. Oh, okay. 
So I can tell you that, that I did face Mickey and we still talk about it. And he goes, what did I do? Ground out. And I go, matter of fact, you did. <laughs> uh, but no, Mickey and I talk and, you know, I got to coach with Mickey. What a great individual and a father and dad person he is. And he's still with the Phillies. But uh, we actually had the same agent. I didn't know it at the time. And I faced him and then I gave up an opposite field home run to Glen Allen Hill. That to this day, I swear, if we had instant replay, it went around the foul pole on the other side. I don't think it was fair. He even, I talked to him like a few days later. He goes, I don't think that was fair. <laughs> like, it didn't matter to me. I was just pitching. I, would, I was, it didn't care if you get a home run. I was just out there. Big crowd, fireworks, 52,000, I want to say. There was a lot right. in Philly that night. It was packed all the way to the top. It was hot. But I, you know, it was awe-inspiring feeling, seeing all those people and just being able to know that you're making your debut. I had to take a minute, though, to kind of like let it sink in and then go back to work. But after I threw my first pitch, I was fine. It was like, all right, I'm just, this is what I do. But I think the nervous butterflies and all that stuff are always there. I was always nervous when I pitch. I think everybody should be. I mean, you have this butterflies every time you play a game. I mean, I don't think that ever goes away. If you don't have butterflies, you better worry a little bit, you know? And then all of a sudden they go away and you compete. But I think everybody has that nervous energy that kind of like gets your mind going, your body going, and then you, that adrenaline factor that you have. So, But it was good, though. I remember the big crowd, though. It was a nice big crowd, and I think I threw it in. We beat it pretty good that night when I got in. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to make my debut. So I, I really enjoyed it. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Steve Shrank when we come back. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back here on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Phillies pitcher Steve Schrank. One thing about your time with the Phillies that is etched in my memory is later that year, and I remember all the dates and all, but I remember the game specifically. You had to make either a spot start or an emergency start against the Marlins later in the, late in that month. It was July 28th. And I think you had just pitched out of the bullpen like the night before, two nights before. Yeah, one night. I had one day off. Yeah. yeah. And I remember watching the pregame and, you know, uh, it might have been wheels saying, you know, if they can get three innings out of, yeah. out of Shrank, it would be this would that would be a monumental task given the circumstances. And you went out there and buzzsawed Miami. I think they were, were still Florida then, but Six shutout innings, and it just seemed like every inning got easier than the last. What do you remember about that day, and how did it come about you got that start? Well, I can tell you because I, I was – I had already long tossed. I would already did all my running, preparing for me to pitch, you know, one or two innings out of the bullpen. I was kind of a long guy at the time. And I remember uh, Galen coming out and telling me that uh, Schilling went down. His back's locked up. Schilling can't go tonight. So now i got bigger shoes to fill. You know, here's Kurt before the game. Hey, Shrinky, you're starting for me. You better get it done today. This is my start. You know, in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're the one that got hurt. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I need, I need, I need to do something here. If not only for me, but for him too, because it is his start. It's a big day. And I remember Francona, you know, talking to me in the first inning. He goes, hey, just go as long as you can go. Whatever you can give me, you can give me. And I said, I'm, yeah, I'll go as long as I go. Well, I tell my guys now, and I would tell guys this, I never say no. 
Like you're not going to hear me say, or anybody back in, in those days say, I'm, I'm, I'm done or I can't go or I'm, I'm finished. Um, you just didn't do it. If you did, you're back on a bus down the minor league. So I mean, you just wanted to keep pitching. I remember him asking me after the third, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm good. And that was it. It was short and quick. He goes, all right, gave me one more. And then I went up, he asked me again on uh, the fifth, and that was my turn to hit again. By the way, I struck out three times against Dempster, uh, who was throwing like 98 miles an hour with an 87-mile-an-hour slider. And the first time I had hit since high school, by the way, that's so how many years? 87 to 99? I mean, we're looking at, you know, 13 years. I've never hit 12 years, and I'm like, oh, great. So he punched me out three times, but I didn't care at the time. Except for my first at bat, he told me to get in the box. The catcher was um, – I forget who it was, but he said, Hey, you're going to get in the box. And I'm like, Oh, I thought I was in the box. <laughs> he just started laughing. I go, it's my first time hitting. I go, it's been a long time. And he goes, sure. It has like, like I was setting him up after the third pitch, the strikeout. I'm like, I told you I wasn't setting. He goes, yeah, I believe you now. But every inning he asked me. And then uh, the fifth inning came along too. He goes, are you all right? I said, I'm good. He goes, all right. And I, my pitch count was pretty low. I had a lot of ground balls. That day. I don't remember what, I mean, I might have thrown 76 pitches in the six innings. And then I came back out for the six and he goes, can you give me one more? And I said, yeah, I'm good. You just didn't say no. You know, I, I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that could pitch. And I could have, I would, if he had told me that, asked me every year, I wouldn't, I never would have said no. It just wasn't in me to say no. And then I think that he liked that, but he also knew that, Hey, I better not push it too much because he just threw one, you know, had one day off. I ended up getting player of the game. Wheels was on. They, you know, got the interview after the, after the thing. So um, I have the game ball. My first win uh, in the major leagues as well. Uh, my first win and save was against the Marlins. Because I can tell you that I came in again for Wayne Gomes with the bases loaded in Miami. Uh, Wayne had struggled. Uh, and uh, Frank Gona goes, we need a ground ball to get out of this inning. Sure enough, six four three first pitch. I was done. Got the save. So, <laughs> you know, it worked out. I had, I had a really good year that year. I was really pitching well. I really felt confident. Um, a 99 and then I got the win, got that win and the next year though in spring training you know I didn't make the team right away out of spring training they signed Reyes late in that year and he was running sprints they sent me down to the minor leagues the last day of spring I went down to uh I was at the carpenter complex mm-hmm. I take the bus all the way over to the minor league side I get there I get there the next morning I'm getting unpacking my bag at the carpenter complex and this is 2000 and um he said, uh, don't unpack your bags. You're going back over. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you're going back. They called you back up. And I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. I go, what happened? Well, Reyes blew his hammy out running sprints in the morning. So now I make the team. My first opening day. Um, you, I don't know if you remember or not, but Jackson was supposed to be our closer that year, Mike Jackson. Right, right. He end up, ends up getting hurt. First game in Houston, right? First they, game. they called he out and he can't go. Look who closed that game out in Arizona me <laughs> so I had to close that game so now I go from not making a team to being the closer uh that year and against Arizona I think a broken bat I shattered somebody's bat and they got the run and they won and, and they walked it off with a broken bat I had bases loaded um but Jackson was supposed to pitch like he was up pitching in the bullpen and he called down and said he couldn't go so and then I was like oh now I, I guess I'm in <laughs> Frank Kona goes you're in so you know, it was it was just a whirlwind. I mean, I go back on it now thinking about all this stuff. I had a lot of good memories, but it was uh, a lot of craziness, too, like a lot of unexpected things along the way. You're like, oh, you're doing this, or you're doing that. And then Frank Oda was really upset because obviously that was going to be his closure. And then you start the season with no closure. And I don't think Jackson pitched that year. 
I think you're right. I think it was he called down. They said he couldn't go, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. He called down, and that was it. And then we lost our closer first day of the of the of, the, of this thing, and that's that kind of hurts when you lose your closer. So, but I was up and down a little bit that year. Kind of went back and forth, 2000. Um, but I, you know, like I said, it it was a ride. It was it was awesome, and there were some good people along the way, and um, getting a pitch in Philly, the vet, and obviously, you know, the, the ballpark now in Citizens Bank is so much nicer but you know what um i got to go there and coach a little bit and hang out and see some of the guys go through there but um i wouldn't you know take any of it back the only thing i would like it is a little bit better turf in the vet that would be the only thing <laughs> you played until 2002 windows and you mentioned you got a coaching offer during your playing career did you mm-hmm. always figure that whenever the you hung it up that that would be the next step for you would be some sort of coaching. Yeah. I just didn't see myself really getting out of baseball. It was just part of my life. I'd done it since I was 18 years old. Talked to a lot of long, long people on the way and just kind of wanted to, not only did I want to give back, but I just, it was in my blood. It's just what I did. Um, you know, 33 years of now after coaching and playing and being on a bus working with kids and just doing baseball um, just being a part of the game is just, you know, it's, it's just, it's just what I do. I, I figured that was my college. That's what I went to school for was baseball. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. And then I went on and, uh, end up coaching in 04 right out of, uh, after my first year, took a year off from playing and coaching, did some substitute teaching. And then I was like, I got to go coach. I can't do this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> not that I don't love kids, but I can't be in a, in a school all day with them. Sixth graders too. Um, and then I went and then my first manager was Mike Schmidt. So I managed, Mike was the manager that year. And then, and then I was his pitching coach. So my was first year, yeah, in Clearwater, only, only pitching coach that ever been with Mike Schmidt is a manager. So I have that on my resume as well. <laughs> so no, it was nice. And, um, you know, obviously Mike's first year of really coaching, you know, he managed that team that year. We had a great time and, made some good memories and Mike's awesome and we still keep in contact even when he comes into spring training um and we had a good time um again it was my first year ever doing it so I was still learning like learning how to like work with kids having 12 kids being responsible for them and but I enjoyed it and we didn't really do really well that year Mike always talks about that we we could have should have had a better team and I'm like yeah it would have been nice but we don't get to pick them <laughs> you know we don't pick the teams in Marlins. we just coach them make them better and then the next year, the team was even worse. Mike didn't come back. That was his only year. He retired after one year of coaching. But the team was worse. He goes, ah, I guess we weren't so bad after all. And I'm like, yeah, Mike, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> I mean, Greg Lake had it the next year, and he was like, wow, that was a bad team. Because <laughs> a lot of those guys came back and repeated. But that was it. And then I started coaching in, since 04 and did it all the way through and got a few championships here along on the way. I had like two in Lakewood, one in Clearwater. Um had some lot of opportunities in Reading with Dusty. Dusty was the manager. Had you know, I obviously I had Hoskins and Cousins and all those guys and some good pitchers along the way. Got to work with Hamill. So just been so many guys. Like I went back and looked at a board in Lakewood, New Jersey. They have a board of all the guys that have made the big leagues that have played in Lakewood, and then they have one everywhere you go. And I think I counted up. It's been over a hundred pitchers that I've been able to work with along the way that have made it to the big leagues. Um, so it's. it's it's uh, you don't really see it as you're doing it. It's like you know, I don't think about how many guys have made it or you know, just so and so made it. That's awesome. He made it. That's awesome. But now when you go back and look at it, there's like you know, over 100, 125 guys 
that have done it. So you you know, being able to work with some of those guys and touch some of their lives or maybe maybe make a difference in their lives or maybe said something along the way, which I know I have because I still get even the guys that get released. Um, I've still had some guys reach out and talk to me and send me pictures of their kids and families and all the different things like they have like that. So it's neat. It's a neat experience and it's nice to be able to help those guys out too. I, I missed that part. I missed the locker room. I missed uh, hanging out with the coaches. Um, there's some things I didn't miss some of the way the game's changing a little bit. Um, some of the analytics, you know, it's, it's helpful, but it's not tell all, you know, I, I always tell guys, you know, yeah, you can look at a guy and put a number on him, but at the end of the day, what's in his heart and what's in his mind and how is, how's he going to play? I'll take that every day of the week over a guy because I know, I know what it takes. And, you know, you have to have that. A lot of talent, I think can be, you can downgrade the talent a little bit. If you have a guy that's got the heart and soul, I'm just going to put it, you know, play together as a team, how they're going to play, how they're going to do it. Are they going to compete? May not have the best stuff, may not have the most power, but man, they get the job done every night. And you see it. They drive that run in. Um, they, they move a runner. They make a pitch or they come in. You know, you can bring him in. He's going to throw strikes. He's not going to walk people. He's going to make a big pitch when you need him. And, it, you know, you have to find that stuff out. That's internal. That's a big part of um, a big part of being a big leaguer. I always tell guys, it takes a total package to be a really good big leaguer. Not just a number, not just a war number or a number or a spin rate or a, it's all good. It all helps. I'm not saying it doesn't, but there's more to it. You really have to be, what does that guy, what makes him work? And that's our job as a coach is to find out and let these guys know when they get there, this is what he likes to do. This is what he likes to do. Don't put him in this situation or he can, he really does well in this situation. And once they know that they'll run right through guys, but you have to like, Find out what makes a guy tick, what's inside. Because um, there's a lot of talented people. We see it in baseball. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, that are really good and throw hard. But it's not about always throwing hard. It's about making that pitch. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it for you? Who can you trust to put in the game? And um, you see it. I mean, I put Brad Lidge in a game every day of the week. You know, even though he had the nasty slider, his fastball got hit at times. But you knew that he was going to give you he, what he had in his heart and how he was going to compete. Um, I think that's the difference. I don't, I won't get on my soapbox too much about it, but it does make a difference. I mean, that's, I think that's our biggest job as the coaches is to find out what each guy has individually, what makes him work and then put all that information together. Um, that's the biggest part of it, especially being a big leader. You can have all the tools in the world, but you have to have the other stuff. You really do. And you see it. Everybody sees it. There's a lot of good players that don't win a lot or put up the numbers, but don't really drive that run in when you really need it. It might drive in a hundred, but do they, are they driving the run in when you really need it in the games on the line or you really need a big hit or are they moving? You know what I mean? Those are, those are the guys you want in your club. Those are the guys you want in your club. That makes a difference. So given your background, got to the big leagues, pretty high draft pick. You've had a lot of success. You had to fight through serious injury. You've seen the highs and lows. I would imagine that really translates well to being a coach because you've kind of seen it all and and you can really connect with guys, not just from a, hey, it's going to get better, but hey, I've been there. This is, I know what you're going through and you're going to be able to get through this. How big is that? Um, you know, it's really important to be able to be that guy for the, for those guys and the, being that the coach that they need, they can rely on. And, and like you said, have those life experiences and 
kind of experience everything. Um, I talk about a lot with the young kids and even the guys that I, that I coach is, you know, I've seen, been there, done that, seen that. Uh, I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I've kind of had the trial and error of going back and forth and uh, this delivery doesn't work or this pitch may not work or there's a different way of doing it. Um, so it does help. And not only that, but being there for the guys um, and, and mentally and being there and knowing that being in their corner that you really care. Cause like I said, I've, I've worked with a lot of guys and I have kids of my own and I have grandkids of my own that, you know, I've been through and I have kids that I've, you know, they're 30, 31 years old. So our kids, um, Jennifer and I, like I said, I've had, um, you know, we have seven kids and seven grandkids. So I've been there. So a lot of life experiences, not only on the field, but off the field, being there for guys, like we talked about it, being able to be there for them. They have families, they have, uh, friends they have wives they have girlfriends a lot of problems that come along the way but it's also being there as a as a, a mentor and being able to be there and speak from the heart someone they can trust um i think that's the biggest thing is being able they can trust you and have conversations not only about baseball but non-baseball stuff is what makes i think a big difference knowing that they can you know have a normal conversation that you care more about them just than a baseball player but as a person um and i think that's probably been the biggest thing for me is being able to be there for those guys and and coach them along. And then all the knowledge that I do have, like you said, of, you know, 33 years of doing this game, I've seen a lot, been there, done that. And um, it helps out those guys a lot. And if I don't have an answer to a question, I will definitely try to find it. I always tell guys that I don't know everything. When I do know everything, I'm definitely not going to do this anymore, but I still learn something or see something every day, like a different thing that comes along. Even in the coaching these younger kids. Now I see stuff. I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. Or, oh, I've seen that a lot. And, yeah, that's going to happen. And we're going to get through it. But I think for the most part, though, just, you know, having that life experience of not only baseball but just life as well. And uh, that goes a long way with guys, a long way with people. So that's kind of what um, I try to – how I like to coach, like I said, with my heart. And uh, when I stop doing that and I stop caring, then I'm going to stop coaching. But I don't see that ever happening. So I'm going to do this for a long time. I enjoy it. I mean, it's it's my life my lifelong dream and my lifelong uh, job as well. So I really enjoy what I do. and I have a passion to do it. And if someone listening is interested in your services, pitching coach pro, how do they go about contacting you? Uh, it's at pitchingcoachpro.com or, and it's a website that, uh, that uh, my wife and I designed that she designed, but I'm a part of, but she did. And uh, it's pitchingcoachpro.com. You can get on get on there and she has a calendar all set up for lessons and uh, what we offer and the prices and everything. And it's, you know, I, I keep it pretty reasonable. And I, you know, obviously just enough to make a living to, you know, to be able to do what I want to do. And if I want to go on vacation or go out to eat every once in a while, it works out perfect. So I don't try to like, I'm not here to not, I'm not in it for the money. I don't think any of us do when we coach, obviously I didn't coach in the minor leagues for all those years to get rich because you just don't. Uh, obviously your dream is to one day make it as a big league coach, but, um, you know, it's hard. There's only 30, 30 big league pitching coaches. Um, and there's only 30 triple A pitching coaches. There's only 30 double A pitching coaches. So, you know, that there's not much space there. There's, there's not a whole lot of room for, for a lot of people, but I, you know, um, that's where we go. And if, um, that would be great. And guys, I get a lot of people from all over the country. Um, like I said, I think we have over 130 clients right now that we're working with just pitchers and, um, I do a lot of pitching lessons for them. So we're in the area, uh, in the Allentown, Lehigh area, and the Philly area as well. So, Steve Strength, thanks so much for taking the time to join us this week. No, I appreciate you having me on and uh, taking the time to do it. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. 
And that will do it for this week's episode of One on One. Want to thank former Phillies pitcher Steve Schrank for joining me this week. If you like the podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts and want to help us out, please leave a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Lee on Ten Sixty. Thanks again for listening, and check us out next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.